Welcome to Cornerstone Church of Parker and our Sunday service webcast, which is connecting you to God's Word anywhere over the internet. We're glad you're joining our webcast today and pray that God will minister to you as we share His good news in Christ Jesus. And now, with a message from God's Word, here's our speaker for today. Scale of one to five, show me how you're doing with five being really good. How are you doing today? Show me. How are you doing? One, five? I see some fives. Good. That looks like you're doing pretty good. Well, you're looking good. You should tell your neighbor that unless it gets you in trouble with your wife. Okay? Don't want to do that. <clears throat> While we're here, I'm getting back into the swing of things. This is our, I guess, the first official Sunday of a new ministry season as we uh, kind of wind down from vacations and get back into the swing of things. And there is, as Sarah said, quite a bit uh, coming up even yet this month, uh, working towards our vision meeting on the 26th, where you'll hear more about what we're doing this fall and some of the things we're trying to accomplish. Um, most of, importantly is our launch of global missions again. We haven't had global missions for a while, uh, but we're ramping back up, so that's pretty exciting. Uh, and with that, that I like to uh, periodically, especially at the beginning of a, of a season like we're at right now, revisit uh, what I call our foundations, okay? I, periodically, um, we need to come back to the essentials and, and just look at them or, and expand on them a little bit just so it keeps it fresh in our minds and in our hearts. <clears throat> and so over the course of the next four weeks here in August, um, we are going to take a break from our Old Testament survey. We've been moving through the Old Testament and we came to a very pivotal point in Israel's history there at the very end of their, their, their national history. Um, with uh, talking about Josiah and the centrality of scriptures. And we'll come back, jumping back into that series September 9th. But in the meantime, we're going to talk about three essentials. The first is today, and that's the church and its mission. So this is part one of part two. The, the second part will probably be only about 15 minutes long, and that'll come just prior to our vision meeting. Um, it'll kind of set the stage for that. Next week, Mark Thompson will be speaking about the ordinances of the church, like what are they, why are they important, what do they mean for us today, and then in two weeks, Sean Wilson will be talking about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is our, he indwells us and he is like our life coach and he helps us live as Christ did. So it's a very, very fundamental, foundational uh, topic that, that John will discuss. So um, as I get started today... Um, if you're wondering where we're going to be in Scripture, we're going to start in Colossians 1.18. So if you would open your Bibles to Colossians 1.18, we'll be there in just a few minutes. Um, and if you don't have a Bible with you today, we have plenty. They're right on this table over here. Just raise a hand and one of our ushers will grab you one. And if you don't have one of your own, just consider it a gift from Cornerstone Church. Just keep it. And so I want to start our time off talking about the church and its mission with an excerpt from Tom Schultz's blog. Now, Tom Schultz, he lives up in Loveland area. Um, he is the founder and editor of Group Publishing. Group Publishing is the publishing company that we get our children's ministry curriculum, our youth ministry curriculum from. I, I really like uh, what Tom's company does, and so I, I follow things here and there. Uh, he wrote an article called The Rise of the Duns. The Rise of the Duns. And so let me just share a little excerpt from that to start us off today. So he says, John is every pastor's dream member. He's a lifelong believer. He's well studied in the Bible. He gives generously. He leads others passionately. I mean, he's basically just an all-around terrific Christian guy. But last year, John 
dropped out of church. Now, I don't mean John switched churches. He went to a different church in the area. No, he, he dropped out completely. His departure, uh, it's important to note that his departure wasn't the result of some ugly encounter with a pastor or some church member or something. It, it wasn't necessarily triggered by any, <coughs> excuse me, any single event, but more so by just year after year after year of being a, uh, stuck in a, in a system of passivity where he as a congregant was just not really challenged uh, like he thought he should be. And so John had come to a long considered thoughtful decision. He just said, you know, I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm done with, with corporate church. And <clears throat> Tom goes on to write that John is, is one of a growing number of ex members. They're sometimes called the de-church, and it's important to note that they've not abandoned their faith. They still love God deeply. They just choose to not go to church, okay? They, and so at a free, free, recent Future of the Church conference, sociologist Josh Packard shared some of his groundbreaking research on the Duns. He explained that these uh, de-churched uh, people were among the most dedicated and most active people in their congregation, and so to an increasing degree, the church is unfortunately losing its best. It's losing its, its lay leadership. It's losing those who serve. It's losing those who support the church financially. They are going away. Okay? And the problem is compounded by the fact that the younger generation, the millennials, um, aren't lining up to just refill their places. And so why are the duns done? That's the question. Okay? Packard describes several factors, but among them are that the Duns are fatigued with the Sunday routine of plop, pray, and pay. They want to participate, but they feel spurned at every turn. I can totally, um, I can totally relate to John. I can relate to the Duns. Um, you see, there was a time uh, in my early to mid-30s when I, I was just about there, okay? In my teens, in my 20s, I had just invested so much energy, so much time, so much resources into helping the church grow and be better. In fact, I left my career as a teacher uh, and became a children's pastor and studied, went to Bible school and became certified and licensed and then finally ordained. And I worked in a, a church of about six to 800 and then in, found myself working in a church of about 23 to 2,500 people. And, you know, I just kept moving and working and giving, but eventually I became disillusioned with what I found there. Um, were we doing good things? Yeah. Um, were there good people, mostly good people? Yeah. But I became really disheartened, I guess you'd say, with the fact that not everyone who works in a church loves God deeply. Not everyone who works in a church really cares about people. I don't know if you knew that or not, but unfortunately these days, becoming a pastor is becoming like, like you're going to school to be an engineer or something. It's like you make a career choice and you want to go down that path. And I could talk a lot about that. I have an issue with that. Um, but, and I had an issue with it then, and it bothered me. And so I left uh, ministry. I came back into teaching and, um, you know, I, I kept involved. Jamie and I kept involved. We continued to go to church. But I found 
myself coming home after Sunday very frustrated, very discouraged, and, bored, and, in, and even a lot of times angry. Thank you so much, team. Struggling with a cold here. Thank you, sir. I really appreciate that. Um, I came home discouraged and, and, and a lot of times even angry. My wife can testify to that because I went to church and I looked around and I saw in so many people's eyes like <clears throat> the same look that I saw when I worked in a factory. And no offense to people who work in factories. I just, I, when I was in um, college, I spent two summers working in a, in, a, in a furniture factory. And I remember looking in so many of the people's eyes, especially those who had been there like 20 years on the line, they were just hollow. Their eyes were just hollow. And they did not have a lot of, a lot of exuberance, a lot of life. They just were kind of like little machines. And they just came when they were supposed to and they went home and there was a sadness about them. And I never forgot that. And when I came to church, I saw the exact same thing in their eyes. And I thought, what are we doing here? The church, like Bill Heibel says, the church is the hope of the world. And I don't see a lot of hope. And so when I would come and make suggestions and can maybe combine some things I'd learned as an educator or learned as a result of going to business school, and I, and I would say, hey, you know, what about this? How can we reverse the trend? How can we speak to the Johns? How can we prevent the most dedicated, most uh, uh, giving, most fervent, faithful people from walking away? And I was disappointed because I found over and over and over that it was more about holding on to traditions than it was adapting to help people like John. And that left me very, very angry because I love God and I love the church. And so <clears throat> that was just kind of where I was at the time. And I had even kind of thought, man, Lord, I, I still had that desire to help and be involved. Jamie and I became foster parents and adopted children, and we did what we could. Um, I still had that, that heart to minister. Um, and, you know, God eventually started restoring that. And I'll talk a little bit more how he did that at the very end. But God restored that. God changed my attitude. He even brought me back to a place where I would consider being a minister again. And that's why I'm here, Right? And so I'll share a little bit more about how the Lord brought me kind of out of that in hopes that it will bring people like John back or people maybe who are listening to uh, here today. Maybe you, are, you can relate to John. Maybe people who will listen to this podcast. Maybe people you know, like I know. A lot of super dedicated, God-loving people who are, have walked away or are at the edge of doing so. How can we as a church um, reverse that trend? How can we fulfill the mission that God has? And that's really where I think it starts, guys. Um, I think it starts with returning to our essentials because churches, unfortunately, find the essentials to be uh, kind of boring, honestly. And I, it's unfortunate when I hear uh, of churches drifting from talking about things like this. Churches even going so far. I, I heard the other day, like, some pastors don't even use the scriptures when they preach. I'm like, what do they say? What, what are they preaching? It's, if it's not from here. And so um, I know we could have a lengthy dialogue about all the reasons for, for this 
uh, phenomenon. But let me just say, I believe that it's because the church has forgotten who it is and what it's supposed to be doing. And so that makes today's sermon extremely, extremely important. Um, We're going to do three things today. We're going to come back. We're going to define the church. Like, what is it? Okay? Who should we be and what should we do? You have this outline on your on your bulletin, you everybody have a bulletin? Okay, if you don't, just raise a hand and we'll, we'll get you one. So let's start here. Okay, go to Colossians 1.18 if you're not there already. Let's take a look at that together. Start by defining the church. And while you're turning there, let me, uh, let me just say that uh, I thought this was kind of funny. Don't let worries kill you. Let the church help. I think John would kind of testify to that. I think I kind of testified to that in my 30s. Uh, you know, this, I love, I, I love this and I hate this at the same time, okay? I doubt that we will ever have a church sign because most of the messages that I've ever seen in my th- 39 years are like corny like this, and so I just kind of avoid those things. But, uh, you know, the church is filled with a lot of really well-meaning people, but unfortunately, they're, they're out of touch, with how they come across in their community. And so uh, we're, we're definitely trying to, to be in, in touch with where, where we live here in Parker. Um, so Colossians 1.18, okay? We're going to define the church. Look at that with me. This is Paul writing to the church in uh, Colossus. He says, Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. And so we see quite simply that the church is the body of Christ. This is not the only reference that, that Paul makes in his writings to uh, this uh, phraseology, he, and also in Romans, Ephesians, a few places, and then again in Colossians 1.24. Okay? Um, if you take a look at uh, Colossians 1.24, look at that real quick. Just scroll down a few verses. He says that, I'm glad when I suffer for you in my body, for I'm participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body, the church. And so we see quite simply, the church is the body of Christ. The strongest reference, in my personal opinion, to this, uh, this wording is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So turn there with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This is where we're going to be uh, the rest of our time together today. And we'll come back to this in a few weeks on the last Sunday of the month. But 1 Corinthians chapter 12 Right. Are you there? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. We're just going to read a couple verses. Read with me here. It says, The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Skip up to 27. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. And so we see Paul, again, using the physical body to show us what the church is like. He's saying the church is the body of Christ. Now, to really understand what Paul is saying, this this phrase, the body of Christ, we have to just, first of all, back up and just start with the basics. What is a body, like a physical body? What, what is it really? Well, a physical body is the means by which a person's soul expresses themselves, right? What is a soul? A soul is your 
thoughts, your feelings, your desires, as well as the unique combination of personality traits that make you a person, make you who you are. It's often referred to as your mind, right? So your mind. Now, a person in their mind expresses what they think or feel or want or their unique personality traits through the body, this flesh, right? And so that is what a body is. That's why people, uh, when we uh, break a leg or we are handicapped or we um, even need glasses, right? Without our contacts, without our glasses, we can't see what, quite as well. We're, we get frustrated because we can't express or, and be and do all that we could if we were fully functional. And so Paul says, you know what? The church is exactly the same way. The church is the means by which Jesus Christ expresses himself in this world, okay? And so through the individuals, that's us in the church, the world sees his love, they see his joy, they see his peace, his patience, and so forth, all his characteristics. The world only knows Jesus because of you and I. They only know what he's like by looking at us, right? Do you believe that? Okay? And so we, when he was on earth, excuse me, when he was on earth, he was limited to one geographic location at a time, just like we are. Okay? But after he died and rose again and ascended to heaven, he didn't leave us alone. He sent his spirit, the Holy Spirit, back to help believers all over the world. And so anybody who says, you know what? I believe in what Jesus did. I'm expressing my faith in him. At that moment, when we make Jesus leader of our life, the Holy Spirit, Jesus' Spirit, comes and lives within us. And instantly, our connection with God comes alive. It's like the phone line just turned on. And we've got a signal again. And we're connected with him. And so the Holy Spirit is like our life coach. And he helps us do and be exactly what Jesus was when he was here. This is what Paul says. Look back in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. Look at that again with me. He says, some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are all free, but we have been all baptized into one body by what? One spirit. And we all share the same spirit. And so what he's saying is, as a result of having the Holy Spirit in our lives, we are not only connected to God again, but we're connected to one another. Have you ever been like in an airport, a train station, or out, you know, you're watching your kids play football, you know, and you just sit down next to a stranger, and you just start chatting, and over time, 10 minutes later, you find out that they're a believer, and you can just sense something about them. Have you ever had that experience? You get chatting with a stranger and you find out they're a believer and there's an instant connection. Who is that instant connection? Paul says it's the Holy Spirit. They have the Spirit in them just as you do. And you have this instant camaraderie with them. Even though you are completely different people, even though if you had more time with each other, you might drive each other crazy, right? You might not be friends, but you have Christ and that's the one thing that, that unites uh, you and them. And Paul is saying, you know what? Since we're connected, we should work together, which is why we have congregations all over the cities. We have these congregations of little people 
uh, little groups of people or big groups of people in some cases who share very similar values or similar thoughts. There's something unique about each group that, that connects them even more so than, than the, the Holy Spirit. And so Paul says, you should work together. Well, teamwork. Someone once said that, that working together is the capacity to strive together towards a common goal. It, it happens when individuals who have their own way, and they say, I'm going this way, but, you know, I'm going to turn my focus and my achievement in this way so that I can go together with you. And the other person says, you know, that's not a bad idea. I'm going to turn my focus and my energy and my pursuits so that we go in this direction. And so you have multiple people aligning their resources, aligning their interests, aligning their investments to move in the same direction. That is teamwork. Okay, and it's the secret that allows common people to achieve uncommon things. Uncommon both in greatness and in frequency. I want you to think about something for just a second. Think about a characteristic of Christ. Let's start with peace. He was a pretty calm, peaceful guy. Okay? Do you know that there are, if you look at the, like the sheer number of people that live in our area, I would think if you had an opportunity, if everybody was honest, okay, you would find that the vast majority of them do not have peace. You know why I, don't th- you know why I know they don't have peace? Because there are a ton of people on anti-anxiety medications. Like literally, they, they just, they worry. They are fearful about everything, you know? And when we, as Christians, come to know the Lord and we say, Holy Spirit, just come and live in me. One of the things he brings is peace. He brings peace and he starts to set us free from those fears. That's what peace is. It's freedom from fear. And you know what? You start worrying and you don't know, you're, oh man, the circumstances control your life. The Holy Spirit comes in. You make Jesus the leader of your life. He starts giving you something called joy, which is this deep, settled confidence that God is in control of the details of my life. My times are in his hands. How many of you say amen to that? And so when we come to know Christ, we start having his characteristics. We start expressing them in this world. And the more of us that can get aligned and start expressing those things together, that is how change occurs. We start changing the spiritual economy of our community. Light becomes greater than darkness as we begin to express more and more the characteristics of Christ. And so we see, first of all, if we define the church, what is the church? It's the body of Christ. That simple. Right on. Okay, let's talk about God's purpose for the church. What is our mission? Well, to answer that question, we've got to think about God. What does God want us to be? And what does God want us to do? So we're going to look at both of those. But doing always flows out of being. You might want to write that down if that's not in your notes. Doing always flows out of being. You do what you do because you are who you are. And if you want to change what you do, there are stuff, I know there are things that all of us, we have those little habits or little things that we, about ourselves that we hate. Even Paul said, I do the things I don't want to do, and I, do, I, I hate that about myself. And so if we want to change what we do, 
we've got to change who we are first because doing always flows out of being. So the very first question we should really be answering is, well, what does God want us to be? Because if we are who God wants us to be, then we'll do what we should be doing. And the answer to that question is very simple. I bet you can guess it. God wants us to be like Jesus, right? We are the body of Christ. What does the body do? It expresses, excuse me, expresses the soul, expresses the person, okay? And so we are, as the body of Christ, meant to express the characteristics of Jesus. We are to express his mode of living. Uh, quite simply, what God wants us to do is he wants us to interact with him and other people just as Jesus would. So we have to ask ourselves, okay, well, how would, uh, how would Jesus interact with the Father? How would Jesus interact with another person? How would Jesus interact with my mother-in-law? Hmm, hmm, that might be a hard one. <laughs> no, I have a good relationship with my mother-in-law. Um, but that's the question. And so how, where do we go to find answers to those questions? Right here, right? We go right here into scriptures, which is why last week I said the scriptures must play a central role in our lives. As soon as we do this, and we kind of like put them over here in the center of our life, orbits around something else, that's the time when we start, we stop, I should say, being like Christ, and as a result, we stop doing the things that Christ would do. And so we start doing dumb, selfish, sinful stuff because we don't have the scriptures influencing our souls anymore. And so we take the scriptures, we make them the center of what we do, not only in our lives, but here at church, which is why you see me open up a Bible, and go verse by verse as much as I possibly can, because the scriptures are central, okay? And so let me say plainly, any Bible teacher or pastor or church that does this with the scriptures and says, we're going to do something else. It's really nothing more than a club. Okay? It's, and that teacher should be ignored. Okay? Any teacher that doesn't open up the scriptures and lead you, I would say, even verse by verse and show you clearly the points he's making, you need to find a new teacher. Okay? The Bible must be central. Okay? Because um, without the scriptures, we cannot be like Jesus. And so let's look, second of all, what does he want us to do? Okay, so we know we are the body of Christ. He wants us to be like Christ. He wants us to express his mode of living. What does he want us to do? Well, if we're being like Christ, then we're going to do the things that Christ does. And that, namely, what did he do while he was here? He taught people. He taught people how to love God with all their hearts, with all their souls, with all their minds, with all their strength, and how to love others as themselves, right? And so he taught people how to love, how to interact with people in godly, mutually beneficial ways. And so the same is true for us. As church, as a church, as a congregation, what we are to do is to teach others, which is why you will often hear me say, especially at vision meetings and especially at board meetings, ask any of the board members, I ask them, before the meeting starts or at the beginning, what are we? We are first and foremost models and teachers of godly relationships. That is the church's mission. How many of you are following me so far? Give me a confidence check. 
Thumbs up is good. Middle, down. You found with me? Loya, good? You're good? All right, very good. I'm going to give you a quick conversation break, okay? And I, I got one thing for you to talk about, all right? And initially, I was going to have you, like, put up some, uh, collect some data from you, but I, I think I'm just going to walk around and listen. I want you to take about 90 seconds and tell someone from the other side of the room, okay? I know some of you guys over here, like, that's your side, okay? But I want you to go over to the other side. Okay, and you guys transverse over there. And I want you to tell somebody about the best church experience you've ever had. What, just talk about it. What made it so cool? What, what made you like get up on Sunday and go, oh, I'm kind of glad I'm going to church. Or I'm really glad I'm going to church. Okay, so you got it? That's one question. Talk about your very best church experience. If you're new to the faith and you're like, well, Pastor Mike, this is my only church experience, then I want you to tell someone from the other side of the room what you like so far. Okay? You got it? Stand up. Stretch out. Got about three minutes. Three minutes. Go. All right, guys. I'll give you about 15 seconds. You got about 15 seconds. 15 seconds. Wrap up your thoughts. About 10 seconds. Go ahead and wrap up your thoughts and make your way back to your seats or someone else's seat and you want to throw somebody out, throw somebody off, go sit in their seat. You know, churches are notorious for that. I got my seat, man. You know, just go sit. You know, it's, it takes, yeah, a chair is a chair. I, I agree with you, but not everybody does. Okay. I remember hearing a story about a um, uh, a man who, who came to church with his wife and, um, you know, maybe sit right over here. And, and they, they, got, they usually got there like a half hour early just so they could make sure they got their seat, you know. And, and a guest had come in and sat in their seat. And he did just like this. <clears throat> he walks up. He looks at the guest, looks at his wife and says, well, I guess we better just go home. That's the kind of stuff that drove me crazy. <laughs> Cried out loud. Oh, yes, and the, you know, the church is like three quarters empty at that time. It's a half hour before service. You know, it's like, well, I better, I guess we better just go home. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so today we've talked about uh, what the church is. What is the church? Remind me. The body of Christ. And so what, do you, what does God want us to be? He wants us to be like Jesus. What does he want us to do? He wants us to teach others. Absolutely. And that is, that is the church. Okay? And what's interesting is that, that pastors and church leaders generally make that a whole lot more complicated than it needs to be. You know why? Because it's boring. It really is. Some of the best habits and best things in life are generally boring. But if you do them and you stick to them, you're going to outlive everyone else. Okay? All right? And so I think the same is true in the body of Christ. Now, I want to turn uh, our attention from the church as a whole to uh, just, con let's consider Cornerstone Church here for a few minutes. Um, how can we be and do what God wants? And so there's, uh, there's a couple things, okay? 
And the first thing is this. So go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 because we're going to look in there. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This is a new Bible. Anybody else have a new Bible? It kind of drives you crazy because every time you turn a page, it wants to close. Yeah, it's like kind of hard to find. You know, I'm, I'm, I don't memorize um, like scripture references very well, but I know where to find it in the Bible. Is anybody else like that? Like I know the verse and I go, oh, just like I'll find it. And I go, do, 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 and I find it. But I can't tell you what like the reference is. Um, and so here we go. Let's look um, back here. The very first thing is this. We must remember that God has placed us where we are for a reason. For a reason. Look at verse 18 with me. Chapter 12, verse 18. Paul says, but our bodies have many parts and God has put each part just where he wants it. Okay, let me read that again. But our bodies have many parts and God has put each part just where he wants it. There's two things implied here. Two things. The first is this. Everyone who calls Cornerstone Church their home church has a role. No one is merely a spectator. The second thing is that wherever God has placed us, whatever role he's given us, we've got to do it to our very best. Okay? So no one's a spectator. And give your personal best. Those are the two, two things we must remember. So let's come back to the first one. Everyone has a role. No one is a spectator. See, at Cornerstone Church, one of the things that, that I'm trying to cultivate and our leadership is trying to cultivate is this culture of involvement. It's the idea that everyone must do something uh, in order to help model and teach others Christian living. Okay, part of it is out of necessity. I just want to remind you Take a second, think about where we were, where we are, and hopefully where we're going, okay? Where were we a year ago, okay? I can tell you, this is just my impression. Where we were a year ago was we had about 45 to 50 people, right? We had, were struggling, and we didn't, a lot of key ministry roles were, were unfulfilled. We had people like scrapping and holding things together, right, and doing their very best. And now a year later, every major ministry role has been filled. There's probably anywhere from 90 to 110 people who come. I know it doesn't look like that over, over summer break, but we have like half of the church on vacation every week, okay? And so we've seen growth, spiritual growth, numeric growth, financial growth. I know Mike will tell you in a few weeks just how well we're doing. I think you told me almost 40,000 in just general savings like an emergency fund, that's fantastic, okay? And yet we've been able to update all of our rooms and, and do all sorts of really, really cool things. And so part of the, the reason why we need everybody doing something is because there's a lot to do and very few people to do it, right? And so we've got several people doing multiple roles, okay? I'm a part-time guy, trying to do full-time work and work my other job too, right? And so, and a lot of people are like that. Greg is, is he's our worship director. He's like that. Um, almost everybody is working and doing other things. So um, we need everybody pitching in. And so uh, no one can, we can't afford to have people just come and watch. That's what I'm trying to say. And so uh, what can you do to help? Everything that a church does, in my opinion, falls under one of three categories. Pray, give, or serve. And so you, everybody can pray, 
right? Everybody can pray. And if you can't speak, you can pray in your head, right? And so everybody can pray. And if you don't know what to pray for, you can pray for me. I, I, one of the things that I've been asking people to pray for me about is just ha- that I would have a soft heart. Because when I get a lot of responsibilities, I go, get in like go mode and then I just get stuff done. But when I get stuff done, I can get hard-hearted and, and, ru- and not as gentle with people. And so pray that I have a soft heart. Pray that our church leadership has wisdom about the choices we make. Pray about the improvements we're making. That we have clarity as we rethink our, our stage here and do check-in and with the kids and all sorts of stuff. Uh, pray for the growth of the congregation and people's needs. I mean, there's lots of stuff to pray for. And if you don't, if you can't, if you like kneel to pray and your mind goes blank, just like shoot me a text or an email and I'll give you a little list, okay? <laughs> I'll give you some things to pray for. You can give. And I want to say, first of all, I have not, first of all, I want to commend you as a congregation. You are so generous as a congregation if you just knew all the things that we've been able to do and yet build up this enormous emergency fund, um, it's because of you guys, because you're very generous. And, and so I commend you. And I, what I was going to say is, and I haven't, I haven't preached one sermon specifically on giving since I've been here, okay? And I don't think I've got any on the docket for the rest of the year, okay? Not that it's not necessary to preach. I just kind of approach those kind of topics as they come in the course of scriptures, okay? It's just kind of like sex. We talked about that a few weeks ago because it was in the scriptures as we moved through. And so when money naturally comes up, we'll bring it up, okay? But you'll find out right away I'm not one of those pastors that comes up every other week asking for money, okay? And so um, you're chuckling because you know some, right? You, I know some, and I don't like it, so I, I try not to do that. Um, you can serve, okay? There's lots of places to serve. I know that in the course of this next month, we're setting up the, the check-in system. I know Sarah has a few openings in children's, and Jamie and James have some in um, youth ministry. I know that there's uh, a need for some greeters. Jamie's also our first impressions connector, uh, uh, director. So if you like to just shake hands and meet new people, please talk to her. I know that Chris, our outreach director, has always got something going on. He shoots me texts um, about going and helping people frequently. And so Chris, raise your hand real quick. Chris is right back there. He's in charge of our local outreaches, seasonal outreaches, and talk to him. There's all sorts of places to help. And so pray, give, serve. Those are things that you can do to help, and we need everybody pitching in. The second implication is this, uh, of everyone has a role. Um, It's that wherever God has placed you, You've got to give your personal best. Listen, if you uh, believe in the slacker Proverbs, did you ever know that? That's not a part of the Bible, by the way. The slacker, there's two slacker Proverbs I I find kind of humorous. One says, never put off till tomorrow what you can put off till the day after tomorrow, right? And the sooner you fall behind, the more time you have to catch up, Okay? (laughs) So if, if that's like your life's mantra, I'm just going to say, you know what, go find another church, okay? Because we ha- there's just no room for slacking here, okay? Especially while we're small and while we're growing. And you know what? Anybody who knows me really well, anybody who works with me, 
knows that I'm a very hard worker and I just don't tolerate slacking very well. Ask my kids, okay? I just don't put up with slacking. So if I see you slacking, I might come and talk to you, okay? All right. So uh, the second thing, let's go back to the Bible, okay? So first thing is everyone has a role. Second thing that we have to remember is that variety is good, both in function and personality. So look at verses 14 through 17, okay? 14 through 17. Yes, but Paul says, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, that does not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, well, I'm not part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if the, your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? Go up to 19. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can, can't say to the feet, I don't need you. Okay, so what Paul is saying here is that the body must have variety or it isn't a body. It's just an ear or just an eye or just a hand, right? By definition, a body must have variety, okay? And that's especially true for the church. We've got to have a variety of personalities if we're going to fully express the thoughts, feelings, and desires of Christ, okay? We need everyone. I preached a sermon about that. That was a foundational sermon last fall. We need everyone, both young and old, here in Cornerstone Church. How many of you agree with that? Amen. If we're just a young church or just an old church, um, we're going to be lacking a very important piece uh, of our congregation because our, we live in a generationally diverse community. And if we want to reach more people, we need more, uh, more generations here. So, let's wrap up. So at the beginning, well, first let me summarize. We've talked about, we've defined the church. What is the church? It's the body of Christ. What does God want us to be? He wants us to be like Jesus. What does he want us to do? Teach others so that they can be like Jesus as well, right? A couple things for us to remember. Everyone has a role. No one can just watch. And wherever um, God has placed us, we've got to do our personal best. And also that variety is good. No one can say, you know what? You, this side of the church cannot say to that side of the church, I don't need you because you sit on the right, okay? I don't need you because you sit on the left and so forth. We need one another. And so in doing so, by returning, my hope is that by returning to the essentials and just remembering who it is we are and what it is we're supposed to do, I'm praying that we can reverse the trend that people like John experiences uh, experienced things that I experienced in my 30s and other people, maybe even you here today or people you know personally who are just, they're just done, you know. Um, so I'm talking about people who, who love God deeply and yet just they don't want to go to church, you know. And the people who study that phenomenon, they say that they're not coming back. And I disagree with this, Okay. I like what they write. I agree with what they say up to that point. Why? Because I returned, okay? Because I had an attitude change, and I've seen other people, even in my own family, come back 
People who love God deeply, their love for God never wavered. I know that's important to, to note. They just got fatigued, I guess you'd say, with the, the routine. And so I, I can't talk about specifically what made them come back, but I can share my story. What made me have an attitude change? Or what renewed my hope that, you know what, the church can be the hope of a community, okay? And it's, it's this. I, I uh, started visiting churches. That's the first thing, okay? And as I looked around, I found that, you know what, there's a lot of good people that live in my area, and for the most part, they all believe the same thing. They differ in their worship style and to what extent the Holy Spirit operates in their services. Okay, I went to Baptist churches, Reformed churches, non-denom churches, uh, Pentecostal churches. I went all over the place. I preached in some. I just visited around. <clears throat> and I found that for the most part, they have a lot in common, much more than they actually realize. Second thing is that I started going to a different church. Um, I went to uh, a, a church where... They, in eight years' time, they went from a, like a dozen people to over 3,000 people. Eight, like 12 people to 3,000 in eight years. Why? Well, a couple things. They focused on the essentials. They kept things really simple. They focused on having good habits as a congregation rather than chasing the latest fad and trying to do all the things that, that churches traditionally do. They didn't have a choir they didn't have Sunday school, okay? They didn't do a lot of these traditional things, but what they did do, they were committed to doing really, really well, and people just came and came, and people were getting saved, and I looked around, and I thought, these people worship their guts out. They're not even a Pentecostal church. They worship more than the Pentecostal church did, you know? And, and the pastor preached the word. He went through like I do. And they just had really, really good habits. And I just thought, this, this really gels with me. And so that was the, the very best church experience I had had up to that point. And so much of who I am and what I do as a pastor has been shaped by that experience, but also by the negative experiences I've had too. I don't know about you, but I keep a note of things to never to do, okay? Like I, when all through as I was a pastor and just as a congregant attending, I would see something and I would go, Never do that if I'm a pastor, you know. Never, do, never treat people that way. Never say that, you know. And I just keep, keep a little list. And I'm trying to reference that list as I'm a pastor now, okay. And so I've le learned from the bad and also from the good. And so I'm trying to cr do my best here at, at Cornerstone. But my goal is this, okay. I say that to say my goal is to make Cornerstone Church the very best church experience you have ever had. And I don't know if I'm quite there yet. And I know I won't be perfect. I'm not perfect. And you guys haven't put that uh, expectation on me or my family or any of the church leaderships. I'm not saying it for that reason. I, I, I'm just saying, you know, I, I'm not perfect. I'll make mistakes. But one thing that I am willing to do is I'm willing to listen. I'm willing to learn from others. I tell you right now, as I told other people, when they ask, us, ask me about this congregation, I say, yeah, the church was, was, you know, a couple hundred people, and then over time it just kind of got down to about 50. I say, but it's like all the really super intelligent, highly capable people stayed, you know? It was like all the very best people stayed, you know? It, it, and that's not usually the case. Usually when a church starts shrinking down, it's all the grumpy pants that stay, right? 
And so it was exactly the opposite here. Like all the most wonderful people stayed. And when I saw that and Jamie saw that, I said, you know, this is, uh, this is a wonderful, wonderful situation. And so I'm doing my very best to, to return that to you and make this a, a really wonderful place, a place that you're proud to invite your friends and, and proud to say that you, that you, you attend. So, um, you know, I can't reach that goal on my own. I can't do it. I'm not trying to do it on my own. Um, but we've got to do it together. I'm going to say amen to that. Amen. Let's pray. Stand up with me. Let's pray. You know, I've been teaching you about the left and the right side of the church, so I'm going to have you do something, okay? And, and you know I've never done this before, but I want you to smush together in the middle. Take the hand of somebody next to you, okay? And I'm coming down with you. Sound booth guys, come down too. Come on down, Joel and Dwayne. Let's, let's close in prayer, okay? Uh, let's take 30 seconds. Just begin to pray for the people next to you. Pray that they, their faith would be strengthened. Would you do that, please? Hallelujah. We just thank you, God. Lord, I just praise right now, God, for these people in this circle, for this church. Thank you for listening to this Sunday service webcast from Cornerstone Church of Parker in Parker, Colorado. We hope that His truth has enriched your life and inspires you to greater works in God's kingdom. We invite you to worship with us in our Sunday morning service or join in our other ministry events posted on cornerstonechurchofparker.org. Cornerstone Church, built on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ and connecting people to God, each other, and to our world.